Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's live room of Lockdown Bearcats. I'm Alex Frank, the host of Lockdown Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm going to be joined by my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, Russ Heltman, as we are going to talk all things immediate starters, potential early starters, immediate starters from the early uh, or from the signing class, the Bearcats early signing class, whatever it's called, <laughs> um, for 2023. Who could start immediately for Cincinnati? We're going to talk about the Bearcats' upcoming quarterback battle. I'm going to ask Russ about a comment that was made to me. I've touched on it earlier this week. I'm going to touch on it with Russ. Plus, men's basketball conference play starting this week as the Bearcats, excuse me, take on Tulane tomorrow night, 9 o'clock on ES. Are on ESPN Plus, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm trying to pull up the standings here. Cincinnati, 9-4, and four. Tulane, 7-4. and four. Tulane is the Bearcats' first opponent in conference play. Now, remember, Cincinnati took a beating to them last year. Right now in the conference, Houston, the only ranked team at number three. They're 12-1, their only loss on the season. Houston, just an extremely good team. Uh, Houston's only loss this season was to number eight Alabama by six. So they are just really, really um, soaring right now. Memphis at 10 and three, UCF at nine and three, Cincinnati ECU at nine and four, Tulane seven and four, and then Wichita State, South Florida Temple, SMU, Tulsa bringing up the rear. So waiting on Russ to join me today right here on Lockdown Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode, today's live room of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So it's been, you know, I was thinking about this um, from all the comments I, I, I read on our YouTube videos, from all the comments I read in The Athletic, from all the comments from fans on social media, from all of those that I read. And I, I, a lot of you are really, really not. Um, hopeful for next season and Scott Satterfield. And I understand like today, if you're listening to this live is December 28th. If you're listening to this in podcast form, it's December 20th. So we're just almost a year removed from the Bearcats playing in the college football playoff. And although, although it, it it's only been a year. It feels like it's been longer than that. And that's because this program is not where it was last year. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean you just say, oh, yep, I'm going to give up my season tickets. Yep, four and eight, three and nine next year. I don't think it's going to be like that. Why would you want to give up your season tickets? Why would you want to give up your season tickets when they're going to the Big 12? Like, you have stuck with – imagine if you've been to season – like, I'll put it to you this way. Okay? So my family's Bengals season ticket holders. We've been season ticket holders since 1968. And man, I've been, I went to the games in 2018, the end of the Marvin Lewis era. That was rough. I went to the games in 2019 when they were two and 14. I was at Zach Taylor's first win. When you could roam the stadium free. I mean, you could go anywhere you want. No traffic, no line to get into the stadium. No, nothing. You could walk right in, and you could probably re-enter if you tried. I remember going to the games in the COVID year. Now, obviously, there was capacity restrictions. 
but I went to games when the franchise was in a state of misery. I went to the games after working overnights at 700 WLW, after Joe Burrow was hurt. And I remember after the Dallas game that year in 2020 saying to myself, someday I will get rewarded for this. And sure enough, not just me, my family, the city of Cincinnati, and a lot of the state of Ohio and Bengals fans everywhere, Nashville, New Jersey, California, Florida, anywhere in the world, Bengals fans got rewarded for all their patience. Why would you not do the same for the Bearcats? If you've been a season ticket holder for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, however long, if you've been one for 30 years, this is much better than when you got beat 81 to nothing by Penn State. This is much better than 65-27 against South Florida in 2015. This is much better than going 13 quarters without scoring a touchdown in 2016. The program is in much better hands. There's much better resources. There is more engagement from the fans because we now care about college football in Cincinnati, at the University of Cincinnati. It doesn't just consume a part of our lives for four to five months and then spring ball. No, it consumes our a part of our lives now for 365 days a year. You know why you care about Scott Satterfield ret- retaining Kerry Combs and Walter Stewart? Because you now care about things like recruiting and things like, um, you care about things like recruiting. You care about things like the transfer portal. You care about things that are huge parts of college football. Again, for those of you who just joined us, welcome to the live room. Russ Heldman on the way. My colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, we've got the chat um, fired up. So we'll get to your questions, comments after um, today's episode, me and Russ. So I, I just feel like a lot of you really are really out on Scott Satterfield already. Why would you be like that? Like, what has Scott Satterfield done in the first month on the job that has you ju- that you just simply do not like? What is it? Is it because that key players have entered the transfer portal? He's retained Kerry Combs. Did you want that? Yes. He's retained Walter Stewart. Did you want that? Yes. Brady Drogosh has stayed committed to Cincinnati. Did you want that? Yes. Corey Kiner is still here. Juwan Briggs is still here. And even if you're not totally happy about it, Ben Bryant is still here. That stuff matters to you, and it that stuff should matter to you. It matters to me. I'm telling you right now, this is a good first month for Scott Satterfield. And there was pressure on him coming in. You don't want to be the man to follow the man, right? You don't want to be Scott Satterfield following Luke Fickle. Well, Scott Satterfield is that. So far, he's done pretty well. I mean, it's not like, you know, Mike Brown, as good of an owner as he is now, when he became owner after his father, Paul Brown, sadly passed away and firing Sam Weish, at least that didn't happen, right? There is... There is a lot of good that has happened in the first month on the job. And this program, again, is in a lot better of a position 
with Satterfield taking over than when Luke Fickle took over. All right, time now to bring in the man, the myth, the legend, the spearhead of all Bearcats, Russ Heltman, fresh off a very Merry Christmas. Russ, it looks like you're wearing some kind of basketball tournament shirt. Are you playing in a basketball tournament? Hard Rock Cafe, Hard Rock baby. Cafe. Hard Rock Since Cafe. And uh, and notice the sound quality. With, with Both of us now have headphones. Um, I, I, as I told you yesterday, I made a wise financial purchase yesterday. That you did. That you did. Let's get after it. Let us get after it indeed. So much to get to today. We're going to talk about immediate starters, potentially from the early signing class. We're going to talk about the upcoming quarterback battle, a comment someone made to me that I'm going to ask you about, and conference play starting up in men's basketball tomorrow night. The Bearcats taking on Tulane at Fifth Third Arena, looking to erase some bad memories of last year's game against Tulane. All of it coming up right here on Locked On Bearcats. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So the interesting thing to me, Russ, about this early signing class, and when we talk about players who could be immediate starters, I'm going to go immediately to the offensive line and say Luke Kandrup, because I feel like, Russ, if there's any position that needs rebuilt the most, it's the offensive line. Do you agree? Yeah, it's that in the wide receiver room. You and I kind of went over that last week. Obviously, Jeremy Cooper announced he's heading to the NFL draft. James Tunstall announced he's heading to the NFL draft over the last two days alone. Joe Huber, starting right tackle, walk-on candidate that um, kind of shocked the world and took that starting job this past fall camp. He is also entering the transfer portal. So I think they have, what, Alex, like one or two remaining starters, one remaining starter overall from the original starting offensive line there in the beginning of uh, of the season on day one. Well, obviously, Jake Renfro goes down with the injury, and that inserts Gavin Gerhardt, who as of now, I don't believe is making any indica- indication that he will be leaving the program. So you have him as a stalwart in the middle, so to speak, at center. But they need to attack this offensive line. They need to attack this wide receiver room. And as I've noticed over the past few days, following Christmas, the staff back in the office there in Clifton, they're starting to send out a bevy of those offers uh, along the trenches and along the perimeter in the transfer portal. Yeah, I, I made the comment just now before you joined us that, you know, it's hard to believe that we're not even a year removed from the college football playoff. And there was a time before the season started, Russ, when one thing you could bank on was all five starters on the offensive line were returning the last year from the Cotton Bowl in 2021. And now, as you alluded to, that has become even more thinner. And I think about a guy like Luke Cantor, who has Power 5 experience. What are the chances that he can slide in and start immediately? I think they're pretty high, to be honest. He should have, a, I would say, a pretty good indication from the staff that he's going to get a strong chance. Uh, appeared in 16 games over the past two years for Louisville. He's got three years of eligibility left, so a lot of time to mold him in this system and get him ready. He's a hometown hero type of guy. Graduated from Elder um, back in 2019. Has the pedigree coming in, three-star recruit, top seven, top seven hundred, top six fifty recruit in the nation. So not necessarily a, a low-end three-star recruit at that. And he can play. I would, I would hope you could see him go at either left or right guard 
maybe give you some of that versatility there. And I know a guy that they targeted uh, yesterday along the offensive line, Derek Bowman, is uh, is a player that can play center, tackle, and guard all across the line, and is obviously a uh, player from the rival Houston program. So that'll be interesting to see if they can pluck him. But yeah. a ton of offers going out, and obviously Luke Kandra uh, accepting that offer and signing with the team early on. I would be pretty shocked if we'd see any of Luke Kandra starting next season. I think he's got a really great opportunity uh, with this roster. He's got three years of eligibility remaining too, which is good. And he's a Cincinnati product, which I, I, I mean, you and I, I think both like that. So here's something interesting, Russ. I was thinking about this um, earlier this week, and I mentioned it on a show this week. So let me adjust my screen. So I look like I'm not whatever. I'm, I'm only five foot four, but I don't want to look shorter than that. So let me ask you this. What are your expectations going into the Big 12 year one? Because I am adjusting them a little bit because I do think there is some rebuilding to do more so than I think we thought. But I think to me, what stands out is you can go two and one in non-conference play and then just get three wins, potentially against UCF, Houston, and BYU. And you could still find your way into a bowl game. Like, so what are your expectations? What should fans expectations be heading into the big 12? I think two and one, obviously in a non-conference, you play FCS Eastern Kentucky. Then you go to Pitt on September 9th and you return back home to Nippert for the battle for the victory bell against Miami, a Miami team that will be probably decent next year. I wouldn't say they're going to be a, a world beater in the mid American conference, but Chuck Martin typically gets a solid showing out of his team, especially for that rivalry game. And I would think it's going to be a closer rivalry matchup than we've seen in recent years out of the battle for the victory bell. The expectation should be six wins, five, six wins, just scrap, claw your way to some kind of decent showing in the non-conference slate, three, four wins, four and five record, I think would be palatable for this program. You go six and six on the year and you try to get to 2024 with all of your chips on the table, a full incoming recruiting class, a fully fleshed out transfer portal class with a year under his belt in terms of Scott Satterfield and the rest of the staff. So I I think the days of expecting 10 wins, expecting conference title berths, conference title championships, and competing for college football playoff spots are years away for this program. And as of right now, the expectation I would hope for fans uh, that, don't kind of get too ahead of their skis is going to be six wins, five wins, just staying afloat, not embarrassing yourself in the first season of big 12 play. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just feel like, you know, I keep trying to tell fans, including myself, Cincinnati's not Ohio state. They're not Alabama. They're not Georgia because those are established programs that have been established for decades, some centuries. Russ, this Bearcats program. Yes. Fans have high expectations. I love that. But this is a program that has only been established for five years, and that was when they were in the American Athletic Conference. They're now at the big boys' table. They're going to have to earn their stripes. A thousand percent. You go from the sixth best conference in the country to, as we've talked about uh, multiple times over the past month, arguably the second best conference, if not right there. I would be able to argue with anybody, third best conference in the country coming off of last season and one of the deeper conferences out of that power five. So – It's just a massive step up in competition. It's a massive, I would say, not necessarily a huge step up in travel. The American Athletic Conference kind of spanning travel, and and you had a lot of different uh, locales that you had to go to in terms of 
the road trips for Cincinnati, but it's just a whole different beast, a whole different road playing environment in terms of the fan atmospheres this team is going to be heading into, uh, as a, as opposed to the kind of lacking fan atmospheres in most AAC road environments. So it's a completely different beast, and it's a beast that the Bearcats were keeping their fingers crossed would have Luke Fickle at the helm leading them. Yeah. That's not the case. He was uh, actually at the helm of Wisconsin, leading them to their first win under his uh, control as head coach in the uh, bowl game victory over Oklahoma State. Yeah, that was the uh, guaranteed rate bowl last night that yeah. Wisconsin was able to come out with a victory. So I, 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 you're saying a lot of similar things that on tomorrow's show, which I've already done with um, Josh Neighbors locked on Big 12, he said something very similar to what you said about the step up in competition in the Big 12. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy. But let's talk about the wide receiver because they, the wide receiver room because there were only two signees in the early signing class: Barry Jackson, who decommitted from Nebraska, then committed to Cincinnati on the same day, and then a guy Ty Perkins. So for a wide receiver room that isn't badly in need of talent infusion, I mean, you got essentially everybody in the transfer portal. I mean, as evidenced by who, the starters in the Fenway Bowl, but. Um, could a guy like Barry Jackson or Ty Perkins find their way into the starting lineup right away? I would be shocked, absolutely floored, if any Bearcats signee that's in high school right now, early signee, plays starting position for this team in year one. They would either have to floor the staff or the roster would have to be in really bad shape for that to happen. I just think these guys have some development they still need to go through and just some time in the weight room that they're going to have to get after it with. And whenever we find out who the new head of strength and the conditioning is going to be, hopefully get that news within the next week as the, uh, as the staff prepares for students to return to campus and the entire off season program to get going over there on January 9th. So I would be shocked if any of, if either of those two, Barry Jackson or um, Ty Perkins is a contributing part of the wide receiver rotation in year one it hopefully would be a good shock and in that case that means that Barry Jackson or Ty Perkins are wowing the staff and they're just that much better than the guys that they will be bringing in transfer wise or players like you know who they got left Drew Donnelly or Chris Scott or they're better than them but I would be shocked Alex if if those two guys are starting level players day one as freshmen Interesting, because I, I mean, I'm someone that I think you need to, I mean, anyone that's on the roster in spring ball, fall camp should be given the opportunity to start because, I mean, these are two very important positions, offensive line, of course, and the offensive line does matter in the pick 12, because even though you, even though some of you listening might think of it as, you know, spread the ball, get the ball out quick, it's also about ground and pound. And to me, it's also goes back to the wide receivers. <clears throat> you need wide receivers that has been a position of strength for this team since 2020. I mean, Alec Pierce and Tyler Scott and what he did last year, even Jaden Thompson came on last year. Tight end remains to be seen. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that that'll be figured out as the offseason goes on. Obviously, Shaman Mateer, which I, I mean, he's still here. So that's the guy right now. I know you've had your eye on him really since uh, really since the spring game last last April. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about a comment someone made to me about the quarterback room and it doesn't really cast a great outlook for what's going to be a very deep battle this off season. We'll get into all of that after I explain to our listeners how this episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you 
by Nitsa. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride. Now nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car or you kill someone. Regardless, everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Brought to you by NHTSA. Hey, thank you for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Lockdown Sports today. The biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less. Plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Lockdown's take of the day. Lockdown Sports today is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Russ Helpman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated with me today. I'm Alex Frank, host of Lockdown Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. In another live room that will be posted tomorrow, which will count as Friday's show because... We wanted to get it up before the men's basketball conference opener tomorrow against Tulane. But I want to go to this was uh, told to me by the host of Locked On Gators, Brandon Olson, uh, colleague on the Locked On College channel. Russ, he said to me, I asked him about Emory Jones, and he said that it is a um, something along the lines of a miserable experience. Now, I don't really know what to think. Russ is already laughing. Uh, is, is that because you think what he said is right, or you're more optimistic about him than Brandon was, who covered him for uh, four years when he was in Florida? I'm going to be doing a further deep dive into Emory, kind of as as we get closer, deeper into the off season, as football starts to wind down, dive more into the tape, and, and write up a kind of longer quarterback conundrum shuffle to kind of see where we are at that position. So I haven't done my entire full deep dive into Jones outside of a couple five, 10 minute highlight packages here and there. It's, it's just a classic song and dance of a college quarterback. Can this guy be consistent enough to, to perform in the big 12? Can he be consistent enough to execute Scott Satterfield's offense, to execute this dual threat system the way it's supposed to be executed. That never happened at Florida, obviously against tough competition in the SEC. It obviously didn't happen last year at Arizona State where they were putting him in like a pistol-heavy offense. It was a lot of pro-style concepts as well. It was a total mess. It did not mesh with Emory Jones's skill set at all, the type of offense the Sun Devils had him in in 2022. So, it's just the consistency. Can Emory Jones be that guy down in and down out like Ben Bryant was at times last year, but another instance there in the sport of college football where if you're outside the top 50 of those quarterbacks across the entire country, that largely means it's because of your inconsistencies throwing the ball or running an offense. And Emory Jones has that. Ben Bryant has that. Evan Prater has that in spades. And I'm sure Brady Drogush is going to have that in spades as well as a freshman. So it appears those are the four guys battling for this job. And it's not necessarily uh, a four-man battle between a lot of Heisman Trophy caliber talent out there in the, in all of those current quarterback talent pools right now in terms of Brady Drogosh, where he is as a freshman, not counting out that he could be an all-time talent in this program. But you can't expect that year one. I, I, I've i said it this week. 
I'm not excited about the quarterback battle. I'm interested in it, obviously, to know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Um, I hope whoever it is. And, and it's interesting because if, let's say, it's Emory Jones or Ben Bryant. And Ben Bryant, I'm not going to rule him out in terms of winning it because he won it last year. And he's going into year six of college football, which does mean something. I am um, saying, though, if it's Jones or Bryant, they only have one year. If it's Bryant, your offensive line better be pretty dang good because there are some things that Ben Bryant does not do that can impact the offense's performance, especially in the Big 12. And then you have um, and then you have Drogash and Prater. If one of them were to win it, you could develop them like Scott Satterfield was able to do with Malik Cunningham and look what he turned into. I, I mean, I know he wasn't a set-the-world-on-fire quarterback, but he had some pretty impressive numbers over his final two seasons. Is that where you're kind of with this, Russ, in this quarterback battle? Yeah, it's it's either you are kind of – I think it's it just kind of goes back to where we were last year. It's the same situation when you think about the fact that this program had Evan Prater – shown enough of his skill set, shown enough of a floor to make you comfortable with letting him grow towards his ceiling, then I don't know that there would be much of a quarterback debate right now. I don't know that Emory Jones would even have gotten a call if Evan Prater was the player that we all think he can be at his ceiling was a little bit more of that player. But it's just, he's not. And so now you're left in a similar situation where you're either going to try to win as many games as you can this year put the future on the bench, not let them develop in-game, and try to see if they can develop outside of the 60-minute contests and on the practice field and in the offseason to be able to win as many games as possible in year one. Or you could probably take some more lumps, lose some more games, let a guy like Brady Drogosh start, let a guy like, I mean, I don't, I have to see a ton from Evan Prater to wipe those final two games of the season away from his ledger and give him a, a new, a new, opportunity there to start so it's a it's it's a really difficult position to be in especially when the ceilings you're choosing from are either very well known and not very high in Emory Jones and Ben Bryant or not very well known and possibly very high but a risk at that with Brady Drogosh and Evan Prater who Prater it's 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 is a much more well-known much more well-known conversation around his game than Brady Drogosh right now do you think if Evan Prater had played well in his first in his first two starts that this would be a much more exciting quarterback battle if Evan Prater played well in those first two starts if he plays well against Tulane they probably win they're probably playing for the AFC title game and then who knows what happens there who knows if they if if they can go back down to UCF and win uh, a second time on a return trip to uh, to Orlando, I didn't think they well, would. Well, they would have. They, it, they, they would have hosted. They would have hosted the game. Right, you're right. Yeah, Duh, thank you, Alex. Yeah, they would have hosted. So then you get and, another home game for Evan Prater. Yeah, and you don't know if Luke Fickle's still here. You don't know if key guys are in the transfer portal. Like, and and I said this. Like, I mean, a lot of fans maybe are upset with where the program is right now. Understand that this is still a good football program that is going to take its dips. But going back to what you said and what I've said all week, as long as you can. Make a bowl game this year. I don't care if eight and four, eight and four, it might be overachieving, but that's still pretty good. And you should be happy with making the bowl game. Don't let the 5% of college football that's the best Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, etc., fool you that making a bowl game is hard. 
I mean, it's really hard to do. Like, Russ, I mean, we live in a city where the Bengals are in the playoffs. They're 11-4, and four, and fans got excited about that. And anyone can say, oh, you just clinched the playoff berth. Well, yeah. Do you know how hard it is to have success in football? It's tough. No doubt. And, I mean, and like, going back go to the Prater thing, it's it's just it's so amazing how much this sport relies on the impact of one position in a game that 22 players play at the same time. That quarterback spot just drives everything that happens, especially around a college football program where if you play out that scenario, Evan Prater goes out and is 16 of 22 for 265 yards, two touchdowns, 50 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground. They beat Tulane. 32-23, and they won't go on to win the AAC title game. I mean, there isn't is there a, there is no debate. Emory Jones doesn't get a phone call. Luke Fickle may still be the head coach because of having to either take that Wisconsin job when he had to take it, or would they have been willing to wait for him to to go after the AAC title game and maybe a New Year's Six Bowl? Does he make the move there? Who knows? He probably still ends up at Wisconsin. But the bottom line is, you know who your quarterback is. If that scenario plays out, it didn't play out. Evan Prater did not perform up the standard. And now you are in a complete unknown in terms of what your quarterback situation looks like this year and possibly years down the line, except they answered one of those questions by making sure that four-star quarterback they had in the recruitment fold was signed on early signing day. And that's a huge, huge, huge thing for the staff. The biggest, I would say, win for the staff of the entire first three, four weeks has been retaining Brady Drogosh and making sure you at least have some kind of plan after 2023. It goes back to something I said before this season started 2022 that I'm going to rehash on Monday because it makes so much sense now. And if you, and if you listening and those who listening, if you didn't believe me, then you probably do now. And I'm not going to, you know, hoot and holler and take all the credit for it. I did say it and I was right, but, it is interesting to think about this one thing I said in the offseason. It makes perfect sense, and it's correct now. All right, let's move on to the hardwood. We got a big game tomorrow night, which Russie will be at for us. The Bearcats conference opener against Tulane. We'll get into that and the start of conference play after a word from two of our sponsors. All right, so... The American Athletic Conference, obviously number three, Houston, is far and away the best team in the league. They're 12-1, and one, only lost to Alabama. Memphis right there, 10-3, and 6-0 and oh at home, 1-2 and two on the road. That's a concern. The Bearcats are 9-4, and four, currently a half game behind UCF overall. Um, it, it feels like, Russ, we talked about this last week, that there's a lot of things that are improving with this team defensively for sure um I still I, I still worry about the front court depth I still worry about the best guys on the team not you know if they have an off night that doesn't spell that doesn't give you hope that they can you know win a game when they don't play at their best I think what I'm seeing is a team that if they can win the games they're supposed to win in conference play and then maybe steal a game against a Memphis or a Houston, which is going to be very difficult. They could find themselves in that top four and maybe have a chance to play themselves into the discussion, the bubble, come conference tournament, right? I, I think I'm kind of right there with you. 
they'll be hovering around the bubble, I would think, most of the season, and they could kind of burst through it this month. They have a great opportunity this month, Alex. Like You go to Temple after this game against Tulane. You play them on New Year's Day Sunday at Temple. You can chance to get a nice road win there. You're at Wichita State, top 100 team in Ken Palm. Huge chance for a road win there. And then at home against Houston. That Houston game at home, the Bearcats faithful, they're going to need every one of them in that arena. And that's going to be – that's the biggest game of the season. It is bigger than Xavier. It is more impactful to Xavier because if you win that game, you give yourself a ton of breathing room. That is a massive signature win. I don't expect them to win that game, obviously. They'll probably be 12, 13-point underdogs in that contest. But I just – I think if you – Win one of the four games against Houston and Memphis, and the one win is Memphis at home. That's just it's just not going to be enough, given the the bad bad competition they played in the non conference schedule. Two hundred ninety third ranked strength of schedule by adjusted uh, team efficiency on Ken Palm uh, in terms of the Bearcats opponents through the first thirteen games of the season. So the fact that your non conference schedule was so bad and you didn't get one signature win against the top or the four top 30 teams you did play in Ken Palm's rankings. To me, it's kind of screams the fact that to get into this, into the 2023 NCAA tournament, they're going to have to win at least one game against Houston to have that signature win buoyed all the way up, or they're going to have to beat Memphis twice. One of those two scenarios are going to have to happen. As you alluded to in your uh, game preview, the Bearcats taking on Tulane tonight, you talk about how, where is that? Um, You mentioned it, none of the opponents in non-conference play came in the 50 to 150 Ken Palm ranking range for the Bearcats realistically slot into this season. No signature wins, bad loss for Northern Kentucky. Well, now you're going to be facing, as you alluded to, a stiffer competition. Let's talk about Tulane. They're 7-4 and coming into tonight. Um, for those of you, for those who have not read your preview yet, give us a uh, a scouting report on Tulane and what we can expect uh, in the Bearcats game tomorrow night. Tulane entering this game at uh, one fifty seven in Ken Palm, or not in Ken Palm, in the net rankings right now. Bearcats one fourteen. Obviously, you want to be in that top, top sixty to fifty of the net rankings to kind of affirm yourself as a bubble team to get into the NCAA tournament. So both these teams a lot of work, work to do. Right now, when you look at the roster, they can fill it up. This team is going to test the Bearcats' uh, defense heavily. They got the 90th ranked offense in terms of adjusted offensive efficiency. This season, Jalen Cook, their lead scorer, one of the better scorers in all of the AAC, 20.2 points per game, two rebounds, 5.3 assists. Does it on a heavy volume, too. I believe it's a team high, 30.4% usage rate. And he doesn't really have any weaknesses when it comes to scoring the basketball, Alex. 35% from deep on 5.3 attempts per game, so pretty efficient on high volume from outside. And shoots 53% from two-point range to go along with 90-plus percent at the free throw line. Gets to that portion of the floor, 5.3 attempts per game. That's a team high there. And he pairs that up with a nice... Nice compliment on terms of getting to the basket and getting physical. And Jalen Forbes, who shoots 90%, over 90% as well from the free throw line. They're the kind of the spearheads for the sixth best team free throw percentage in the country right now, shooting 80% overall are the Tulane Green Wave. Forbes gets to the straight stripe 4.1 times per game. So making sure those guys 
don't have easy buckets, can't slow the game down, get their wits about them at the free throw line, and be able to hurt you badly there is key. Forbes, uh, second on the team with 16.8 points per game, 4.6 rebounds. Not nearly as efficient, though. Kind of a more uh, sub-40% shooter. And then inside, offensively, you're worried about Kevin Cross, 6'48 forward. He's their tallest rotation player, the only rotation player for the Green Wave, over 6'6". He's a nice... Nice score inside the arc, 54.6%, two-point uh, field goal percentage, 14.2 points per game, about six rebounds and three and a half assists. So this is a team that doesn't rebound very well, Alex. I mentioned the height disadvantage they have going up against Victor Locken and the Bearcats. Kevin Cross is their lead rebounder at 5.9 boards per game. They're 314 in rebounds per game. So for a team in the Bearcats with a coach like Wes Miller, who it feels like after Every game, the first thing he brings up is, did we win or did we lose the rebounding battle? They won it narrowly against uh, against Detroit Mercy last week, and they, I think, will be able to use that advantage to kind of spearhead a win here and spearhead another great performance by Victor Locke. And Detroit Mercy had nobody that could size up with Locke last week. Tulane's got nobody that can size up with a consistent big man this week. Fourth nationally, shooting 72% from the field this season. An unbelievably efficient player that I think still getting better, still growing into a larger role in this team. I would expect to see him out there 25 to 30 minutes on Thursday night and be a really big punishing force against this Tulane Green Wave team that has only beaten the Bearcats twice in their past 20 meetings. One of them being that New Year's Day battle last year. Yeah, I remember that game. That was not a good performance by Cincinnati, what turned out to be their conference opener last year. So hopefully things go better tomorrow night. Russ, you'll be there for us covering it for all Bearcats. Let's go to some questions, comments, concerns from fans. We've, we've got a couple. Um, P. Crawley 513 says 6-6, six and 3-5 six, and five in the conference seems most likely for next year. I'd take it. Um, that would yeah. be That would be banking a win against Pittsburgh there from Pete. Or for P. Crawley, he's he's confident about that road trip to Pittsburgh. I see that's going to be an interesting game. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, tough. a rivalry game. You know what? That's the second game of the season. If I mean, that's the thing about non-conference play in football. Like you only get so few, and it's so early on in the season. You don't really know what kind of team is going to show up. I mean, it, it, think about Russ. Like before they lost to Oregon State. Like, the Oregon team that, you know, was very good in the middle of the season and into November was far and away better than the team that took the field against Georgia. So, it's just a matter of how, like, where you're at as a team heading into that game. Um, yeah. Alex, they, they, Alex, I forgot they're the old Big East rival with Pitt. They haven't played yeah. them since, uh, since September 2012. Two-game yeah. winning streak on the line uh, come September 9th for the Bearcats. Yeah, that's the uh, the River City rivalry. Um, Alexander Smith, I think the best case scenario, we go 12 and six in conference play. So that would put the Bearcats at 21 and 10 heading into the, uh, conference tournament. That would I'd be right on the bubble, right on the bubble. If they go 12 and six, it just depends on what those 12 wins are and what those six losses are. I think if, if all of those yeah. losses include Names like Houston and Memphis, then they got no chance of making the NCAA tournament. Well, the problem is they got to also win the games they're supposed to win because there's not a, I mean, I mean, look, no game in conference plays a give me as we've seen. Um, Alexander also asking any idea when John Newman might be back. 
Newman, it's going to be a while. Rob Fennessy, I would expect him back sometime in January with that broken foot. He's going to be faster than John Newman, who obviously was the first player to go down. Newman may be back in February, hopefully optimistic early part of February, but I would guess last maybe four or five games of the season is probably the earliest we'll see John Newman back on the floor, still recovering from uh, from that from that knee surgery uh, about a month ago. Uh, Pete Crawley, 513, asking, are you guys hearing any news on the offensive coordinator front? That's still the one key position that needs to be filled. Um, Not hearing any major rumblings over the past four or five days, but I would I would imagine we'll we'll hear a, a, a hiring within the next week. I would be I'll be surprised if you and I aren't talking about an offensive coordinator hire uh, this time next week when we're doing the show. All right, we'll end on a we'll end on a high note. What a Monday night football game we've got in Cincinnati this week: the Bills and the Bengals. Um, Russ, what do you, what's your prediction? Because I mean, look, this is only the third Monday night football matchup in history with two teams with eleven or more wins. I mean, the Bills have a six game winning streak. Bengals have a seven game winning streak. Something's got to give. Please, no ties is all I ask. <laughs> That would be crazy, wouldn't it? If they tied that game on Monday, how about that? I think it would it, be. It, it wouldn't be. I think it'd be a disservice <laughs> if they tied. Seriously. Yeah, I could see that. I'm, I'm with you there. I'm rolling with the Bengals. I am. Okay. I'm, I'm just. I'm not going to pick against them the rest of the year. I'm done picking against All Joe right. Burrow. I did it that one time on our show when they were. I think they've literally won every game since I said when they were four and four, that they would not make the playoffs. They've literally won every single game since then. Uh, every single game since Dominique Foxworth said PJ oh, Walker gosh. would outplay Joe Burrow. They have won every single one of those contests. Yeah. Joe Burrow's literally played like the best quarterback in the NFL since, uh, since that comment was made. So I'm going to roll with the Bengals. I don't love the injuries, but like Lyle Collins, he wasn't that good this year. Akeem Adeniji, there's not a massive drop off exactly. compared to say the drop off that you'd have from, Ted Karras to whatever the backup center would be. So I'm not as worried about that front. They should get Hayden Hurst back this week. Sam Hubbard may be angling to get back this week, although might just keep him out until week 18 and get him uh, get him back healthy there. But overall, I just I love the way this this offense is playing. I love the way that the defense is able to make big plays in the biggest moments. And I just think this is a team with the locker room vibes, the way everything just feels so hunky-dory. They're going to be able to rely on one another in those crunch time moments that I'm sure are going to happen on Monday night, and they will get the job done. And I'll go with 31-30 Bengals in a (laughs) classic, classic Monday night football contest. Should be a lot of fun. Pretty hopefully good weather in Cincinnati. We're looking at 50-degree temperature range. Just trying to keep that rain away. Yeah, um... I, I do think part of me thinks give me Joe Burrow in a big game. I'm going to take Joe Burrow because I now the Bills have won some close games of late, and I give them credit for that. Part of me also thinks that the Bengals secondary is in trouble because I'm because let's be honest. Um, Pete Crawley 513 says, thanks, fellas. It's always a pleasure. Bengals seem to intimidate every AFC team, Sands division rivals. That's actually a very accurate comment. Um, hashtag, hashtag burrow factor. Yeah. I mean, but I worry that there is just the secondary against the bills receiving court. 
that just like that gives me worries. Yeah. Eli Apple's playing well though right now. Cam Taylor Britt's plays decent, but Eli Apple, I mean, he's he's getting paid about three and a half million dollars. You look on the over the cap real valuation for what he's played like this year, he's playing like a twelve million dollar cornerback, Alex. Like they got him on an absolute steal of a deal i think largely because his name is eli apple he just has a reputation and didn't get enough uh meaningful looks like he should have after playing pretty well in 2021 so i'm not as worried about that i think there will be enough of a pass rush especially if they get hubbard back to be able to uh nullify that but it's just one of those games where it's like it's just one of those coin flips it's going to come down to the wire i would be shocked if either team gets blown out and they're so easily uh, matched up against one another. They're so well coached. They execute so well on offense and defense. It's just, it's going to be, as you mentioned, historically, it is one yeah. of three games we've ever seen in this scenario for good reason. It's getting the hype that it's getting this week. I picked the Bills yesterday on another podcast that I do, but I'm also, but I'm going to flip my pick here to the Bengals just because you mentioned the locker room. And they've leaked oil in two halves of their previous two games. We know that. I was at the game in Tampa Bay. You and I watched the game against New England. I'm going to pick the Bengals 31-28. Evan McPherson hits from 46 yards to win the game. Now, the weather right now says cloudy, high of 62 on Monday, and only a 23% chance that of rain. Like, that sounds like there shootout weather sh- to me, Alex. I, that sounds like ideal football. Do I, wear- I love it. Do I wear shorts? Do I wear shorts to the game? I think you might have to. Well, although if it rains, though, you, you kind of need those pants for the rain, don't you? True. Uh, Pete Crawley 513 says, not having Sam Hubbard for this game scares me when it comes to containing Allen. Hope Cam Sample steps up. Yeah, Sample had a nice game against yeah, New England, point. so maybe you can. Did, yeah. He really did. And, um, yeah, it, it just – Really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to this. The, I mean, this stretch of Bengals football, Bearcats basketball. Of course, so much more to get to with the Bearcats quarterback battle. So much to get to with the offensive coordinator search. So much to get to with, you know, the early signing class, immediate starters, fallout from football season. Just so much to get to. Russ, thank you as always for joining me. Um, happy New Year to you and your family. And I um, hope you had a Merry Christmas with you and your family. I know you and I talked yesterday. So, uh just a great time of year, love man. It. Love it, Alex. Thanks for having me on, my man. Love doing this. Love that we've started this uh, this professional relationship. It's been yeah. awesome. And wishing you and yours a happy yes. holidays and a happy new year. We'll talk again in 2023 next week. Yes, thank you, Russ. Six weeks from now, you and I will be covering a game together. Looking forward to that. Russ Helpman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, joining me today. As for me, you can follow Russ Helpman, by the way. I need to get better at that. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, at Russ Helpman 11. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Frankie underscore Natty with two N's and an ATI. You can follow me on Instagram, Alex Frank, underscore email me at Alex three Frank at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for making lockdown Bearcats your first listen today. Now make lockdown sports today. Your second listen, Peter Bukowski brings you the biggest stories from around the sports world in 20 minutes. Get the analysis and opinions before anyone else with our local and national experts and insiders lockdown sports today available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Frank for lockdown Bearcats. Back tomorrow with a recap of the Bearcats and Tulane. Looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us in the live room podcast form up tomorrow. Hope you all have. This is our last show of 2022. So I hope you all have a happy new year. Make it a great year. Have the best time with your families. I'm going up to see mine this week. Looking forward to that. And I hope you all have a great, great 
rest of your day. And I will talk to you all in 2023 right here on Locked On Bearcats.